0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Casting from the Cigarette in Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area. It is our pleasure to welcome you to the landmark episode 660 of the Twitter Nerd Comic Book Podcast. My name is Matt um. Baum, and I pity the fool who thinks they can just assemble their uniform from random costume pieces. This seems to happen a lot in the books we're reading this week it happened at least it happened at least twice this week yeah
1: and i'm the internet's joe patrick your head number two and i like to think i've got a good sense of humor but
0: the next time i'm asked to plumb the depths of what old white guys thought was funny back in the day i quit it's time for another Cosmic Longbox episode, where our sentient longbox we discovered in a smoking crater, and we've decided it's definitely radioactive, uses its weird sentience to choose a theme for the comics we'll be reading. After that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to set you up with our must-read picks for next week. But now, the Cosmic Longbox is crackling with eldritch energies! So it's into the time stream for back-issue review time in the Ziggurat!
1: As the madness of March subsides, the coming of April means spring is in the air, and it's almost April Fool's Day. So this time, our Cosmic Long Bucks has us exploring comics starring humorous characters question mark from comics past some are definitely fools, and others as we found out are fools to be pitied matt
0: who was your first april fool we start with the brave and the bold number 80 from dc not the first appearance of the creeper but I found that the first appearance of the Creeper didn't make any damn sense or let me know anything about him. So I chose this one. (laughs) This is written by Bob Haney with art by Neil Adams. Here's your setup. A bug-themed bad guy named Helgramite has his sights set on Gotham, but no one thinks he exists. Now, it's up to sensationalist reporter Jack Ryder to convince Batman the big green bug is real and so tough that they'll need to team up to take him down. One problem, the Creeper is a criminal wanted for crimes that never really got mentioned here, but Commissioner Gordon wants Batman to bring him in. So not only does the cape Crusader have to team up with a wanted madman to take down a guy in a bug costume that is kidnapping Gotham's criminals to put them in cocoons, presumably to turn them into bugs too. We never really get to that part, but buts, no. we'll have to keep the cops away from his partner while he does it. <laughs> oh, the creeper, the creeper was created by Steve Ditko and Don Segal on. And- had just made his first appearance in Showcase number 73, which came out about nine months earlier than this comic. In that issue, Jack Ryder is tracking down a Russian professor named Yats who's been kidnapped by communists. Ryder dresses up in random costume pieces and for some reason paints himself yellow. He gets stabbed by the commies, but Yats puts an electrode in Ryder's wound and then heals him. He also gives Ryder a button that activates the electrode allows him to change into the creeper and makes him tougher too. There's your origin. (laughs) That's (laughs) science. That's science. I don't understand the problem. So the creeper fights off the commies, but Yats is killed. And of course the cops think the creeper did it here. The creeper has teamed up with Batman to introduce the character to the kids. I'm assuming Nobody bought the original creeper when he's Jack Ryder. Apparently he pilots his own helicopter that has a big loudspeaker on it and advertises his show at extremely loud volumes. The creeper is supposed to be a maniac. Whenever he shows up, there's multicolored (laughs) ha 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 in the panel, but they don't actually show the creeper laughing. So I don't know if that's part of his powers or he's also carrying around a big speaker to advertise that he's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) The creeper's main power here seems to be knowing everything about Helgramite. Which is, you're probably asking, what the hell's a hyalgrammite? Let me tell you. It's the aquatic larval form of a Dobson fly. So now that you know, you understand why that's dangerous, right? You might be wondering (laughs) what a Dobson fly is. (laughs) The creeper is not one of Ditko's best creations. It seems like he was going for a daredevil type character, maybe. A TV reporter by day, but crazy hero by night, which... I should mention, is just Jack Ryder acting crazy? He's not actually nuts. He's just like, I'm doing crazy stuff! I'm the Creeper! (laughs) This character has never worked for me, and the more I learn about the Creeper, the less I like him. This issue is bad. It's vintage, brave, and the bold with fantastic Neil Adams art and a pre-crisis Batman that talks too much, cracks jokes, oh, and also gets beat up by the creeper. <laughs> he also, I, I, he doesn't just talk too much, but he talks in slang. Oh, like, talk. Yeah, he almost sounds like Jimmy Cagney in some panels. There's one where he's looking at a crook that fell off a roof, and he's thinking to himself, Close, but no cigar, and the firefighters netted that thug. Everything's under control. I'll whip across town and have words with that copter character. I almost bought it because of him. Okay, hip cool Batman, whatever you say, brother. (laughs) Uh, Like, he's a real, uh, you know, the kids think he's a righteous dude. The setup for the team up here is just completely ridiculous. And I have to wonder, why does the creeper know so much about this really stupid villain? And when I say really, Just like st- randomly, he randomly knows about the Helgramite. Everything about him, right? And like the way he's going to yeah. catch him, he's going to get on his show and be like, hey, Helgramite, I dare you to come meet me here and we'll fight, but nobody will know that I'm the creeper and Jack Ryder's not there. I doubt anybody puts that together, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it,
1: and it's it's like the Helgramite
0: is The creeper's arch nemesis, or something, sort of. And but I don't think he, I I mean, if he appears again, I don't know. He looks kind of like a centipede man. The hell, in fact, the hellgrimite
1: does appear again. Uh, I just happened to see a comic, a Superman comic on DC Universe Infinite with the hellgrimite in it,
0: yeah. So, by the way the aquatic larval form this is nothing aquatic about this character no 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 not aquatic he's also, just a bug man he doesn't come from man. a cocoon but he's making cocoons also we never realize what those cocoons are for <laughs> what they're gonna do <laughs> he's also not from hell yeah. zero stars <laughs> yeah. helgramite terrible bad guy creeper super lame but say what you will about the creeper He can beat up Batman. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, huh? He can beat up the (laughs) pre-crisis Batman. I've given this a leave it. And the Creeper is definitely a fool to be pitied. This is definitely a leave it. This comic book sucks. It sucks so bad. So dumb.
1: (laughs) And like, look, man, like, I don't even think that it's I don't even think that it is necessarily good. Neil Adams art. I think the art is weak it's definitely not his strongest issue. And I don't know if that's because of the inks or what, but uh, yeah, no, this, this was not a good comic. Um, Helgramite is a dumb villain. The creeper. I have a soft spot in my heart for all old DC characters, whether they're good or not. So something in the back of my brain is like, but the creeper is kind of cool. He's not the creeper is not cool. No. And I think that he's definitely a fool to be pitied. This comic book is terrible and it's like the it's creeper goes
0: on to like later on like oh man i can't transform back i'm stuck as the creeper why don't you just i don't know remove the thing from your stomach whatever and like it makes your costume appear like i don't i don't understand. it doesn't make any sense none of it makes <laughs> none of it makes any sense at yeah. all <laughs> it's just bad 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 i am drum roll please
1: i said drum roll please Yay! i am the creeper from creeps to crazies. We are moving on to chromatic number one from new England comics. This was originally published in 1988. This color version was uh, published in 1992. Good luck finding the 1980. Yeah, no, you, you won't be able to find it. Not out there. Uh, It's no, it's written and drawn by Ben Edland with colors by Bob Polio unfortunate name uh it's 395 which is super expensive for an indie comic from 30 years ago but hey whatever here's some background for you the tick goes straight from the nut house and into the city where he decides to be a superhero after having a tussle with ninjas and being run over by a train he is no closer to realizing his lofty goals that is the whole synopsis. Uh, this issue does include an in-depth interview with Tick creator Ben Edland, which is not present in the uh, original version. The original version had a one-page how to draw the Tick gag strip, uh, which is very funny. I remember the first time I saw the Tick like it was yesterday. There was a picture of the character fighting ninjas in one of those old, mail order comic book advertisements it may have even been for new england comics because that's what they did uh they would have like a full page ad in your favorite issue of spider-man or whatever and it would be like here's a list of all the books we have in stock here's the x-men issues you need here's the avengers issues you need and the prices and you would write out a list and mail it in And that's where I saw the tick for the first time. It was the panel that said, I hate ninjas. (laughs) Where he's surrounded by ninjas, It's like, ninjas, I hate ninjas. I used to dream about the list that I would send in for all the back issues I never owned and how much money I'd have to save up to get them. Never happened. I never once patronized any of those companies. I had no idea what this comic was or what it was all about until it appeared on my TV in cartoon form in the mid-90s. I found reprints of the comic when I went to college in 1996, shout out to Mayhem Collectibles in Ames, Iowa, and I was immediately hooked. I already loved the cartoon, it's absolutely wonderful in every way, but the comic is a brief flash of brilliance that the publisher was never able to recapture. This is certainly no offense to the creators that came later, because I definitely remember the Tick's big comeback as well. It happened in the very, very late 90s or early 2000s. But nothing has ever matched the biting wit and satire of the original series. I was thrilled to revisit it this week in color form. I had never read the color version. It was originally in black and white, as we said. Uh, The color reprint came four years later. It's every bit as wonderful as I remembered. Edlin's script is almost effortlessly witty. and I'm going to say that again. Edlin's script is almost... Effortlessly witty and hilarious, fans of the cartoon will recognize many of the jokes from the pilot episode, but the comic is its own experience. This version of the Tick is maybe a little bit more crazy than the one they sanitized for children, but uh, just barely. He's still the big blue idiot we all know and love. And for those that don't know the premise, what I read at the beginning is pretty much the elevator pitch. The Tick is a mysterious, otherwise nameless mystery man that escapes from an asylum and decides to become a superhero. That's it. He talks in overdramatic comic book fashion. He says things like, there's crime here. I can smell it. It's very much like an episode of the 60s Batman show that takes itself way too seriously. The Tick would soon run afoul of the city's other superheroes, including a very thinly veiled Superman homage named Clark Oppenheimer. Clark would become increasingly deranged over the Tick's behavior as time would progress. But here he's just a mild-mannered reporter trying to save a blue fool from getting hit by a train. Edlin's art would improve by leaps and bounds as the series progressed, developing into a sharp, more slick and exaggerated style. Basically, what you see in the cartoon is, is exactly what it looked like. Oh, for sure. It's still very good here, but you can tell the character and the world are still evolving. Like, the cor- like, things are a little bit rounder, the shapes are softer. The colors are okay. They don't really add anything to the experience, but they don't take away either. But I would just as soon read it in black and white. But as we said, good luck finding it. The collected editions appear to be out of print or on back order, And the ones that are on back order are not the original series. They are for the later books. But they did reprint this comic in floppy form like a dozen times, so you may still be able to find it in the back issue bins at a reasonable price. The Tick remains one of my all-time favorite independent comics. It's, it was a joy to read then, it's a joy to read now, and repeated readings of the series and viewings of the show, now on Hulu, have done nothing to take away from Ben
0: Edlund's genius. I'm giving this a huge buy it. The Tick is definitely a fool. I do not pity him. No, he's awesome. you kidding me? The tick is great. And you can tell this wasn't a fully formed tick here yet, just more of like a fun meta idea to poke fun at some comic tropes and whatnot. But it's so well done here. And one of the things that we're going to run into is like creators trying to be wacky just to be wacky. And it comes off as stupid. That never really happens with the tick. The tick is definitely stupid. The Tick is very baseline moronic humor, but it's executed very well, and I oh, I love it. Huge buy it for me too. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I don't know if I agree that it's not a, a fully formed. I mean, as far as like where uh, are the story's going to go, Arthur, the other well, character, sure. like, I mean, uh, the larger the, world. So, some background of the of the Tick is, is
1: that the Tick was originally a twelve issue series, right? That. Uh is only
0: a 12 issue series because Edlin just stopped putting it out. Yeah. Like it ends on a cliffhanger, I'm pretty sure. I don't think it made any and money in like when it first came oh, out. I, I think oh, I probably not. Yeah. Later on, um, it caught on for, and they were like, yeah. Really, you want more of this? Okay. <laughs> and like,
1: like when the when the tick when the tick showed up on as a cartoon, I'm like, really? The tick? Like that weirdo comic from yeah. the ads. And so, like, it, it it was a strange pick to get immortalized, but it benefited because Edlund transitioned from comics into TV. So Edlund was involved with the cartoon. He's been involved with every adaptation of the Tick along the way. Oh yeah. Both of the live action versions, the animated version. um, And yeah. And they've all been wonderful there. The tick is uh, just so great, but yeah, uh, a lot of the stuff like, Arthur in the apartment and and
0: things that you might recognize come later on. Right. This is this was his first shot at it. And it reads that way. But it's still great. And you can still see Ben Edlund's humor is right there and intact. And, man, it just goes to show that it it definitely had a cult following, I should say. There was always a cult following for this book. Oh, for sure. I picked it up because, like, I think I was buying Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like the original, you know, stuff back in the day. And I think I saw an ad for this in it quite possibly i don't know probably yeah yeah. i'm sure you did so i was like i'll check it out and i loved it and i've loved the tick ever since kind of a kind of a mustache feeling
1: mustache
0: Those glowing things we had to say about Mark Gruenwald's Captain America. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. Found an issue. Uh, let's let's just get into it. <laughs> right. Let's talk about Captain America Volume One, Number Three Hundred and Seven from Marvel. The year was nineteen eighty-five. And you're probably saying, Matt, aren't all these Cap issues super serious with like all kinds of international intrigue and characters killing and Cap losing his job? And like um, a lot of them were. Yeah. <laughs> Not so much this one. Here's your setup. Cap finds himself in jolly old England for story reasons, I'm sure, and everyone there knows him as an invader, which is strange, because World War II had been over for 40 years by 1988. And the Avengers are probably pretty big world news in the 80s. But <laughs> whatever. I think
1: it was I think it was more because the invaders had a couple of very prominent British members. I suppose. Union Jack and Spitfire were invaders. Sure. So I think, yeah. But I'm just saying, the Avengers are probably still pretty big world news. But the Invaders actually, the Invaders actually operated in Europe, like, like the Avengers. You know,
0: forty years ago. Sure. <laughs> Look, man, I'm just telling you. Like, I get it. I get it. Cap is rushing to catch a plane, not the Quinjet, mind you. He's going to get on a passenger plane and check his shield. <laughs> so I'm not really sure what's going on. Look, here. man, he's just a guy. <laughs> he's flying. He's back. just a guy. He's got to get back to New York where the story jumps. And we find Nomad Jack Monroe in Brooklyn with the worst cape costume ever this is way that's up there j- it's really just distressing oh my terrible. god it's bad it's got the triangle cut out for some reason it's got a bizarre deep v for oh, no reason whatsoever that's weird jack is steve's partner at this time but he's also living in his apartment rent free and eating all of steve's food for months playing hero instead of finding a damn job <laughs> then we're introduced to the real star of the book Another crazy bad guy who, just like the Creeper, takes random pieces of different costumes during a costume store robbery to make his own villain costume. Meet Madcap. He wears an alternating mix of pink and black stripes and yellow with a blue hat and cape and brandishes a gun that shoots Bubbles. Now, at first I thought it was the bubble gun that is making people act funny. Not so. Listed under his powers, he has a mental ability to make people, I guess, act like yeah, idiots. he can make people in his vicinity go crazy. Right. But they don't really go crazy. They act like morons, more or less. Like they hoot and holler and jump around and go, I'm a donkey. Hee-haw. Hee-haw. <laughs> <Get me out." laughs> also, he has a healing factor and doesn't seem to feel any pain like the true slacker he is jack finds a job with the least amount of responsibility possible bagging groceries and on his first day madcap attacks the neighborhood he's working in for no reason i can discern at all madcap makes people act silly but he's not so much a comedian as he is just a pure nihilist little piece of madcap dialogue for you here Now pay attention, you mindless rabble. Life is one big joke. Don't you see? Nothing is worth taking seriously. (laughs) Okay. Also, he quotes Beatles songs a lot for some reason. Nomad gets shot with a bubble gun, freaks out, and spends way too much of this issue hopping around like an idiot. After he sobers up, Jack feels really sorry for himself for being a failure and decides to double his efforts to track Madcap. That's the end of the issue, by the way, which this means there's more than a single issue story for a villain that doesn't even make the top 100 most interesting Cap villains list. Good news. It's not continued next issue as Cap is fighting the armadillo for a Secret Wars 2 tie in. So I guess Mad... So I guess this madcap story really doesn't matter at all, other than to show how bad Nomad sucks at his job. I assume he was a terrible grocery bagger too. Paul Neary's art is very classic 80s cap, and it looks good, but all this story seemed to do was play on Nomad's ineptitude in the face of a dumb villain with a bubble gun that he only uses to attract attention. That's how he gets people to come close enough for him to use his powers. He blows bubbles at them. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you know. (laughs) The only thing I took away from this issue is that Madcap is a fool to be pitied. Jack Monroe always sucked at his job. And I'm saying he's a fool to be pitied, too. This issue gets a leave it.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you know what? I wanted to like this, and (laughs) it's it's not good. It's not very good. It's not even entertaining, really. No. It's... It's just weird for no reason. Uh, Madcap makes, I agree, makes no sense. Like none, zero. Zero.
0: I think that this might actually be Mark Gruenwald's first issue. You are right. Grunewald was on the book from issues 307 to 443. This was Grunewald's first issue. So the good news is it gets better, folks. (laughs) Just trust me.
1: Does it though? I I don't know. Uh, No, I mean, like his
0: run got way better. Yeah. um, There's a bunch mm -hmm. of great stuff that we love that happened in the Grunewald run. There's also Cap Wolf. You know, that's in there. (laughs) So (laughs) there's a lot of bad stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. To leave it. The art's not good either. Paul Neary, sorry you're an anchor bud I appreciate like oh I appreciate it But bad. I
0: didn't think it was this, bad this, it's not great but I didn't, but it wasn't I didn't think it was
1: I didn't think it was very good The theme of cobbled together costumes continues with
0: slapstick. Number one from Marvel comics. It was just like a thing. They're like, all right, if you're going to do it, he's got to have a cobbled together costume from a bunch of different stuff in a costume shop. And they're like, Oh no, <laughs> the, we get it. We know
1: <laughs> the year was 1992. And you know what? I'll actually allow it for this one because he's a kid and it's stuff in his attic. It's like, okay, he's putting together a homemade costume. And it, and it wasn't even a costume for like fight and crime. It's just like, I'm going in disguise. You know, I'm dressing as a clown to go to the carnival. Whatever. Would you say that
0: he is disguised as a clown? He's disguised as a something. He kind of looks like he was supposed to be in a kiss cover band and got the color scheme wrong. You know, Uh. he's in slapstick cosplay. That must be it. I guess
1: (laughs) the year was 1992. It's written by Len Kaminsky, which is a name that you uh, don't see too often. The artist by James Fry III, another name you don't see too often. The price on the cover was $1.25. I remember those days. Saving my quarter for milk every day for five days and ending the week with a new comic book. Here's your setup. High school troublemaker Steve Harmon runs into a clown, which gives him an advertisement for a carnival. Wanting to get back at his preppy nemesis Winston for telling on Steve for one of his pranks, he dresses up as a clown according to the setup. This is from fandom.com. Then he goes to the carnival to pie Winston in revenge. Now, I did doctor this setup a bit because otherwise it would be a word-for-word recap of the entire issue. (laughs) He sees Winston kidnapped by clowns and dragged through a portal into a different dimension. Following the villains through the portal, Steve is transformed into a being of pure electroplasm. After receiving some help from a local mad scientist, Steve rescues his classmates, thwarts the clown's evil plot, and vows to fight crime, or at least to make it look really stupid, as Slapstick. Slapstick, fittingly, has been the butt of a lot of jokes over the years, but have they always been deserved? This certainly is meant to be a farce, one that barely takes place in the Marvel Universe, but is it funny haha or funny lame? To me, this fits right in with absurdist cartoon humor of the era, like Animaniacs, Freakazoid, and the aforementioned Tick. It might not be as successful as those other properties, but this issue did hold up a lot better than I thought I was going to. Like Animaniacs and other Warner Brothers cartoons ostensibly made for children,
0: Slapstick is packed full of very old jokes. Kids love the Marx Brothers. Come on. Yeah, like
1: (laughs) visual gags that reference the Marx Brothers and Vincent Price, for example. Now, I have always considered myself a fairly cultured person, uh, even as a youth, especially when it came to pop culture. I was 14 years old when this comic book came out, and the only thing that kept me from being completely oblivious to these jokes was a steady diet of Nick at night. Still, Len Kaminsky tells a pretty enjoyable tale. It's got a clear plot and a solid superhero origin. I'm really impressed, though, with the artwork by Richard Fry the Three. And I always have been like I've been seeing him on books sporadically for 30 years at this point. And I've always wondered why he didn't have a bigger career. His style is perfectly suited for this kind of goofy weirdness, but he also has a very slick superhero vibe to his art that could have worked perfectly on a mainstream title. Regardless, his work here is very strong. It moves between super comical to slightly serious at the drop of a hat. I also want to give a shout out to the colorist Joe Roses, another creator I remember from back in the day. His color work is bright and bold and it makes the line art pop off the page. Slapstick number one is a strange comic, but it's got a bit of charm to it. It might be a bizarre mix of super dated references and genuine laughs, but this is an example of a classic comic book fool and in my opinion, not a fool to be pitied. I'm giving
0: this a buy it. Okay. I don't think you're giving Kaminsky enough credit here because he did go out of his way to make an MC Hammer joke at one point. So in 1992, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, I was still like timely, right? And this is definitely firmly in the Marvel universe. We get a six panel scene of Dr. Strange, Spider-Man, the silver surfer, the watcher, the fantastic four. And Howard are the Duck throwing up because they all feel a disturbance. No, like I know that it, I like it, but that
1: is like literally the only thing
0: that no, I know. I know. The Marvel I know
1: universe. No, I yeah. think the
0: art was very good. I, I love the art. The book is guilty of maybe not being funny, but it looks good. And I get what it's doing. It's doing a very cartoony thing. I never cared about slapstick. And I don't know that he came up again outside of a few jokes here and there, but you know, there's nothing wrong with this comic as far as like, The wacky stuff that we're reading that is wacky for the sake of being wacky. They put work into this they didn't think about it as much as they overthought it to make it over complex for a wacky reason like his whole the whole thing with the ecto you know whatever it is that he's made of like the electroplasm they call it the Marx brother scientist that creates him literally goes on like a seven panel tirade of how he became what he is and to the point where he goes all right all right all right we're losing the kids here well, come yeah, on even, <laughs> even slapstick is like yeah his
1: yeah he's got the birds flying around his yeah, face like it's ridiculous
0: yeah uh, so I'm, I'll i give us a skip it and i think yeah i think slapstick is a legit fool we don't need to pity him I, and he's a big enough joke on his own you know with, with writers and uh artists like yeah, i mean like look uh, for me like i put myself in the shoes of
1: a reader at the time like yeah. i understand now like I, I look back at it now and i'm like the, these jokes are very sure silly uh, and I- like uh, those the all the, the marx brothers thing is
0: ridiculous. Right. Like. I was like, oh, you know what? Some of these, some of these jokes probably would have made me laugh sure. as a kid. This is a good segue to my next book because I think this character is definitely an homage to the one I'm just about to talk about. Yeah, i can give you that.
1: From under the pages of DC Comics comes the world's newest and greatest superhero,
0: Plastic Man. Let's talk about Plastic Man. This is Plastic Man, Volume Three, Number One from DC, 1988. This is your first post-Crisis Plastic Man written by Phil Foglio with art by Hilary Barda. Here's your setup. Eel O'Brien is just your everyday criminal safecracker, minding his business, breaking into a safe in a chemical plant when he gets shot by the cops and acid spills into his wound. After making his escape, Eel isn't looking so good. In fact, his whole body has become as pliable as Silly Putty. O'Brien heads to the bar to drink his troubles away, but the cops and even the army eventually shows up to stop what they think is a monster. That's when Eel meets his partner, Woozy Winks, who has just been released from arkham asylum due to budget cuts that he calls reganomics <laughs> and just wants to go back he really liked it there woozy convinces eel to become a hero via coin flip and even helps him find his traditional costume then the two stop a bank robbery This was the first post-crisis retelling of Plastic Man's origin, and it's remarkably similar to the Golden Age version. I'd argue it might come off as more dated than the Golden Age version, honestly. The only real difference in the origin here is that Plastic Man didn't spend time healing with a monk after his accident. It was the monk in the Golden Age that convinced him to be a good guy, and here Foglio and company are basically writing a Looney Tunes plot, if you will. Hilary Barda is a tremendous talent and you can see how he transformed his art from the first page, which is very Silver Age comic book, almost Batman type feel where Eel is breaking into the safe to a page later where his transformation begins. And the whole style jumps into this comic strip follies with characters bouncing around the panels, ridiculous facial expressions bordering on caricature and constant one liners. <laughs> Plastic Man is a character that I didn't care about until he joined Grant Morrison's JLA in the 90s, but there is a rich, humorous history for the character. And while it doesn't all age well, you cannot argue with the art here. I'm giving this book a buy it. Plastic Man, legit fool. He's a funny guy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, this comic was really good. Um, But you know what? Again, very much like Slapstick, but a decade earlier, I think that it's, it's... also, a lot of jokes that maybe don't come off as being legitimately hilarious this far removed from sure. their publication.
0: I don't disagree, but I think they were going for more of a straight up Looney Tunes vibe. Plus, man number one
1: has a very timeless feel to it. Like until they mentioned Reagan,
0: I thought that it was taking place in the 40s. It looks like it. There's like even you cops know, with old timey hats and stuff. So,
1: And, you know, I you know, I said that thing about the jokes not. Necessarily holding up after uh, 35 years, but I'm now remembering that cop that is just like immediately trying to murder Elo Brian. <laughs> well, he's I mean, just trying to
0: straight up kill Elo Brian the entire credit, time. Elo Brian looks like a monster. His arms just swimming around, and like his face yeah, is dripping. Like, like, like. <laughs> but but even
1: when Elo's like, "Hey, stop it!" I'm a person. The guy's like, "I don't think so. Murder." Yeah, and, and
0: like it, uh, that stuff, I thought was legitimately kind of hilarious yeah i don't um, blame the cops all i'm saying like this is a dc universe remember when the silver banshee showed up a couple weeks ago we talked about it yes, and they're like yes. hey but hot I mean, stuff like no <laughs> this, but <laughs> no. this is this is obviously so ex-
1: over the top though right. Right? right and i thought that that was funny i think hillary barda is a phenomenal artist yeah. uh, in the early 2000s hillary barda did splash brannigan a character in alan moore's tomorrow stories his art looked just as glorious 15 Twelve, however many years later, it this is a great comic. This is a buy it for me. There's plenty for everybody on the Plastic Man Comedy Adventure Show. Eat your heart out, eight men. All right, enough comedians. Let's go back to clowns. Everybody
0: loves clowns, right? No, nobody loves clowns. <laughs> Some people like I don't I know hear that you're that... afraid of them either. because I'm sick of that too. Like I'm just I know dumb. people that <laughs> legitimately love clowns,
1: and I uh, I am sorry, I do not. I don't understand. Those people like, need to be checked into a mental
0: hospital. That's yeah, they have like a problem.
1: I, I, I try not to judge people for what they love, but yeah, that's no, that's I, one of those things, you no. know. <laughs> yeah, that puts you, they get you on a list. We're talking about Astro City, volume one, number three. This is from Image Comics in nineteen ninety-five. It's written by Kurt Busiek with art by Brent Anderson. The price on the cover is two ninety-nine. Here's your solicit. Who is checking the box? Criminal loser Andrew Eisenstein knows, but what will he choose to do with that knowledge? And what will having it cost him? I wrote that myself. Oh, wow. Look at you. That's, you know, pretty kind of proud of it. My unofficial celebration of all things Astro City continues with Astro City Volume 1, number 3 from 1995. In this issue, we meet Jack in the Box, or more accurately, we meet a low-level hood named Andrew Eisenstein who just happens to have been in the right place at the right time and discovers Jack in the Box's secret identity. What follows is a perfect example of a classic Astro City story, one where the people on the periphery of the superhero world are impacted by their presence. I don't want to spoil what happens because it's really great. If you haven't heard us review Astro City in the past, allow me to repeat myself. This book is brilliant. Buseek has a knack for writing timeless dialogue that simultaneously feels like it could take place today or in a bygone age. Brent Anderson's art might be an acquired taste for some with its thick lines and heavy shadows, but I adore it. Anderson and Busiek are master storytellers, even this early in their partnership. The progression of Andrew's paranoid imagination is brilliantly depicted. Now, here's the big question. Is Jack in the Box a comic book fool? He definitely embraces the clown motif. And he cracks jokes while in action, a la Spider-Man, but... Otherwise he's a pretty serious guy. As far as we can tell, Yeah,
0: everybody's scared of him too. Like he shows up and people are like, Oh shit. check <laughs> well, of the yeah. box is here. You know, Whereas, like these other guys who are kind of mad, like when plastic man would show up, you're like, give me a break. We couldn't no, get a those, real hero. Those are those books are comedies. Right. This, book is, this a comedy. book is not. That's where I was going with that. This book is yeah. not a comedy.
1: Uh, however, because he embraces the comedic nature of his identity and is definitely not a lame idiot, I have no choice but to place Jack in the Box firmly in the Fool category. It's easy to take for granted how wonderful Astro City is now after 25 years, but this issue proves that the series has always
0: been exceptional. Astro City number three gets a huge buy it. Uh, yeah, I admit back in the day I had a problem with Brent Anderson's art because it, it was just the nature of the stuff that I was reading at the time. I was reading Joe Mattarira, you know, Joe or Mattarira, Humberto. It's Matterera. <laughs> I already said it for you once. Humberto Ramos. I mean, like really flashy. Ed McGinnis, we're going to talk about in a little bit here. Really flashy comic book stuff. And Anderson has a very classic style but updated that I just didn't get later on. I would fall madly in love with what this guy does. And he just gets better and better and better, too. I love this book. The Jack in the Box is probably the biggest departure we're gonna talk about today, because, like you said, He's a very serious character. He cracks Yeah, like this jokes. comic, this is like the only comic we picked that is not intentionally funny. Right. And and maybe it is, maybe his life is, but the story we're seeing of a guy that accidentally discovers a hero's identity, thinks he's going to get rich, thinks this is going to change his life, but it turns out to be a yeah. curse. And he ends up like fleeing, basically, okay, like, like I don't know what else was, to do. I didn't, I was trying to avoid spoiling. I that. think we can spoil these because the books are so <laughs> old. Yes, you know, I know, but like, Astro
1: City, you know, but yeah, okay. Right, let's compare Jack in the Box to its his closest equivalent, which, according to the back matter, is like a kind of a cross somewhere in between Daredevil of the Silver Age and Spider-Man. Yeah, right? that's that's where I was so going to go. Spider-Man. It's a guy. It's a guy that swings into action wearing a silly costume. Sure. And he talks incessantly, but he's also like tangling you in weird like funfetti strips and electrocuting you with taser uh, Like, well and think about the way
0: that we know Spider-Man because we read Spider-Man so we know Peter Parker's a nice guy and he's funny and he's cracking jokes if he's beating the shit out of you you yeah. probably we're, think Peter Parker Spider-Man right. is pretty scary. <laughs> we're like, Right, exactly. We're, we're also reading it from Peter's perspective, exactly. not the rhino's perspective. Exactly. Or screw the rhino, some or, dude with yeah, a gun. Uh, like, you know? Yeah, just random guy, yeah. random bank robber. That guy's yeah. probably scared to death of Spider-Man when he shows up. So <laughs> it, it makes sense. This is an excellent book, though. Buy it all the way. Speaking of Ed McGinnis. Let's talk about Deadpool, Volume 3, number one from Marvel. It was 1997. This was written by Joe Kelly with art by Ed McInnes. Here's your setup. Deadpool steals a weapon from the Bolivian government for the local revolutionaries, only to be paid in revolutionary money that the country isn't using yet. (laughs) Bolivia bucks is what I like to call them. Naturally, he kills the revolutionaries, heads back to Hell House, which is sort of like a uh, work today quick shop, only it's an old burnt out children's home where mercs go to find work. Back at his hideaway, his roommate, Blind Owl, steals some Thin Mints from a Girl Scout, while Deadpool works on his teleporter. Wade then heads to Hell House, where he meets up with Patch, and gives him the fake money to play with, basically. He takes a job to blow up an unmanned research station, only it turns out to be a gamma radiation facility, and it's not unmanned. There's a group of scientists one of which is Walter Langowski, a.k.a. Sasquatch, a.k.a. Matt's favorite Alpha Flight member working there. Deadpool tries to carry out his objective. Puck was your favorite Alpha Flight member. I love Puck, but no, Sasquatch, all the way. Give me a break. Deadpool tries to carry out his objective. You think Puck is more like a kindred spirit? <laughs> I like Puck a lot. I'll say that (laughs) because he's short. (laughs) Deadpool tries to carry out his objective anyway, not knowing that doing so is going to cause a nuclear meltdown for the entire Southern hemisphere pool. Of course becomes a reluctant hero and stops the facility from melting down after getting kicked around by Sasquatch upon returning home. He meets two mysterious characters from Landau, Luckman and Lake who want to bring him in as their own private contractor, which sets this series in motion. This was early Ed McGinnis. I think it was his first work, and it instantly made him a huge name. It made this comic feel like a blockbuster. His style is chunky and Street Fighter manga style-informed, but it works perfectly for Kelly's humor and plot. I will say his Sasquatch has some anatomy issues here and there. Like, it kind of looks like they moved the action figure a little weird. (laughs) But still looks great. Before this series, Deadpool was a very serious killer in the vein of Slade Wilson. Deathstroke, who Rob Leafield, completely ripped off to create Wade Wilson. Yep, didn't even try and hide it. I would argue everything we know and love about Deadpool today was created right here by Joe Kelly. The humor, the running fourth wall breaking internal dialogue. You can just hear Ryan Reynolds voice here. All props to Lee Field for creating the character, but it was this creative team that made us care and even love Deadpool. I'm giving this a buy it, and I have such a fondness for this run, and it leads into the Christopher Priest run on Deadpool as well, which is just wonderful, wonderful stuff. I can't say enough about this run. Buy it. Deadpool, definitely a fool. This this Deadpool, where they kept it sort of like dialed down a little bit he wasn't full-on bugs bunny yet you know like he was breaking the fourth wall and making cracking jokes but it gets a little ridiculous after this when like daniel you see, yeah no he like he's not breaking
1: the fourth wall right he's just he's just a weirdo like yeah, he acts like an idiot yes yes but this is like this is pre like i would say the things that we attribute to the modern deadpool where it's like now Deadpool turns and talks to the reader or the viewer or whatever that like that's Daniel way shit. Yeah. Uh, that stuff came much, much later. Like, yes, this, this is closer to the Deadpool you might be familiar with, but this is still very much kind of grounded in like, he's a, he's just a normal character that happens to act like a fool. And he's good he acts at, like at his a moron. job. He's very, he's very,
0: very good mercenary right. very good at what he does. And yeah, later on, not, he'll just be an yeah. idiot. He's like, he becomes inspector gadget who like, oh, yes. I just accidentally solved the crime. Right. Again. You know? Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the, like
1: this Deadpool. he's not inept. He's, he's very talented at what he does. Um, it just so happens that he also talks incessantly right. and, Uh, won't stop making jokes this isn't just early ed mcginnis i believe this is the earliest ed mcginnis so he was not a big name ed mcginnis basically sprang fully formed out of thin air i remember it very clearly at the time because they were writing articles about him in wizard magazine where it's like marvel found this kid ed mcginnis and at the time he was like very young he was a huge get for marvel yeah at the time pumped there's a reason for that. Like his art is, is outstanding. It's, it's so, so good, even back then. And you can, you can tell, you know, he's still figuring it out. Sure. Sure. Like you said, there's some, there, there are some panels with Sasquatch that are just like, Ew. but the, but otherwise like this book is beautiful. It's really, really great. I, I don't know if I find it quite as endearingly funny as I did back in the day, but it is, it, it is still very good. I love this comic. I love this run. Yeah. I love this attempt to kind
0: of turn Deadpool into a character worth caring about. Right. Because before this, he was a costume and two swords. Let's be honest. Yep. Ian, For sure. The Mark Wade Ian Churchill like mini that I love is still just like just a real serious badass mercenary story more or less like and he was Wade going. All right. That's what Lee Field designed. That's what we're going with. He yeah. Was not funny yeah. at that time.
1: No. I love this. It's a huge buy. It. This is a wonderful run, and uh, yeah, you just can't go wrong.
0: Okay, speaking of inside jokes, <laughs> like, right, man? <laughs> uh,
1: you remember earlier how uh, we were talking about comic books and cartoons
0: that made references for old people? I would say when we were talking about what aging white guys think is funny, (laughs) I think that might be more appropriate. Well,
1: buckle up, because now we're talking about Ambush Bug Year None, number one, which is a pretty good joke. Uh, It's from D.C., obviously. The year was 2008. It's written by Robert Lauren Fleming and Keith Giffen with art by Keith Giffen. Here's your solicit, thanks to the infinite memory of the Diamond Comics retailer website. The wait is over, and we know you are waiting. Everyone's favorite bug is back, courtesy of the original Ambush Bug team of Keith Given and Robert Lauren Fleming. Cities will be destroyed. Cats and dogs will live in sin. Every unanswered question of the DC universe will be answered. Live heroes will die and dead heroes will live. Okay, none of that actually happens yeah. But join us anyway for this totally irreverent romp through the DC universe as only Ambush Bug could give you. That I will agree with. My quest to get Map Bomb to love Ambush Bug continues with Year None number
0: one. And I think I chose the wrong issue. I was going to say, you did a terrible job. <laughs> I did. <laughs>
1: Uh, I should have picked The Heckler number one, which was not an Ambush Bug <laughs> you comic know, we at could all. Both just hate The Heckler,
0: you know, that'd be fine. <laughs>
1: uh, writers Robert Lauren Fleming and Keith Giffen act like everybody buying this comic is already intimately familiar with both Ambush Bug's whole deal and very obscure DC Comics continuity. Unfortunately, I think both things were probably true at the time, which explains why we haven't really seen any other Ambush Bug solo projects since 2007. I will give the writers credit for this. <clears throat> the issue is full of pretty biting commentary about the state of the comics industry, especially DC Comics itself. There is a long running joke throughout the issue about women getting fridged, uh, which my spell check refuses to accept as a word. With dead bodies just appearing at random from page to page. But there's one dead body that concerns ambush bugs specifically that of murdered continuity cop Johnny DC. That's Johnny
0: with an I. Is that a thing? Uh, it was a thing and I'll explain it to okay, you. Okay. All right. Do I you mean, have, I don't any even know why idea? I'm asking. Cause there's so many things I'm going to be like, is I, this yeah, a I thing? I just that a like, thing? <laughs> you might as well just wait until I get it all. Are these out. all things? <laughs> They're all
1: things. I, I promise. Okay, all right. All right. <laughs> Do you have any idea who or what Johnny DC is? No. C- Congratulations. You are younger than the age of 50. <laughs> well,
0: just uh, just I, a little bit, but no.
1: <laughs> I only know this because I uh, you are younger than the age of 60. How about that? Okay, deal. Uh, I only know this because I happen to be a fan of the original book from the 80s, and I had to look it up back then. Johnny DC was essentially a character that would pop up and explain when things were wrong with stories in the sixties. So, or or something like that. So, you know, Google it. If you want to basically she was a way for the creators of the time to say, Hey, we get it. We messed up. You know, Johnny DC would show up and go, hold it there. Buster, you know, the Hawkman's eyes are blue or whatever, or whatever. Johnny ran afoul of ambush bug a number of times in the eighties. And now she's been murdered. Who could be the culprit? That's the plot of the entire series when it's not too busy making references to the most obscure characters Fleming and Given could find. Oh, and do you also remember when DC's Silver Age books had that checkerboard border on the cover? Only vaguely. Or that there was a Batgirl before Barbara Gordon? Didn't know that. Well, (laughs) then don't worry about a third of this issue. I've only just now realized as I write this that one of the ongoing gags in this issue involves references to DC first issue special. Years before Tom King decided to revive it for his next Teddy blockbuster. There's a reference to the green team. Um, Atlas shows up in the background. The Jack Curry Starman is there. All that stuff is from first issue special. I I just like literally as I was typing this, I
0: was like, oh, my God. Ambush bug didn't make his first appearance there. Right. No. Ambush bug's first appearance was so they're just doing this to do it. Oh, yeah, no, this is all
1: just to do it. Oh, yeah, (laughs) I agree with that. (laughs) Uh, There's also a living sock dressed like Dr. Doom, which makes absolutely zero sense out of context and absolutely none is provided to you. This might be one of the most reader unfriendly comic books I've ever read. I just so happen to be one of the very small number of readers that get most of the jokes. Is it funny? I mean, you know, let's be in parts. Let's be honest. If you're in on the joke in parts, it's it it can be funny if you squint. but even then, only just barely. I have had a love, hate, love relationship with Keith Giffens art over the past thirty plus years. I'm currently in a love phase, so I think the book looks really good. But I absolutely cannot deny that this comic book is almost completely impenetrable. I'm giving ambush bug year none number one, a skimmit with the caveat. That only a very small percentage of people that actually do skim it will like what they see. (laughs) Good. Like I understand. I know what I picked. This is I officially
0: it. the lowest skimmet we've ever given out. <laughs> you realize that, right? It's a, and yeah, you accused me. Low. You accuse me of qualifying my skimmits too much. <laughs> it's it's like saying, well, you didn't get a F, you got a D minus. I would argue it's you more know, like, like, like saying, like, well, like, I guess this comic book didn't break my jaw. <laughs> like, <skim> it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean. Uh,
1: that said. I still do love Ambush Bug. So I count him as a fool to celebrate, not to pity. So the skim, is very, very generous. <laughs> like, I I did it. I like I finished reading this and I was like, man, Matt, I am sorry. I hate it. I, I almost texted this. you
0: to apologize. I seriously hated this. Like I hate Reddit. I, I know do you not did. care about Ambush Bug. I appreciate that DC gives Keith Giffen who I genuinely like. I appreciate yeah. that they continually give him chances to write comic books for his four friends that will understand them and laugh at them and i'm sure they pass us around the the office and they're like oh it's so clever it's impenetrable it it, It is is, there's nothing to hold on to i do not think this is good keith giffen art i like keith giffen art i feel like he's going out of his way to make it look a little wacky here and that made it worse for me i don't know i don't care about ambush bug i don't ever want to read an ambush bug comic again i'm done i feel like last time oh, you're done this, when i say i'm done mister i feel like i last time we reviewed this i said oh yeah it's really funny for his four friends that he wrote it for let's do it again 30 years later and it'll age you- even worse you know <laughs> Leave to it be fair leave, to it, be f- leave it leave it leave <laughs> it Okay <laughs> to
1: be fair the last ambush bug comic i made you read was actually more about the legion of substitute heroes because we did uh we were doing like lame characters that we love Yes and that ambush bug was Nothing like this no. self-referential. No, nonsense. that ambush
0: bug was more like a tick. Like he had no idea was going on. He's just a guy. And just yeah, he's just like stuff. dumb. He's just a dumb character, yeah. right? Oof. Uh, yeah,
1: no. Like, look, I get it, man. Like, and I'm willing to admit, I, I like, I'm peering into my heart and being honest with myself. That ambush bug is probably better when he is not being written by the creators of ambush bug. <laughs> I don't disagree. <laughs> because you can have a story,
0: like imagine ambush bug in the hands of somebody like Mark Russell. Right. Okay, and that's what that's what I was going to say with this. I like meta humor. And you can do meta humor in comics. But yes. when every panel, every word every joke every character every centimeter of the comic book is a meta level joke for shit that happened in the golden age oh silver age oh yes okay silver (laughs) age 2 whatever i'm done you've tried this ambush bug crap on me before i quit i'm out If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all the books we discussed. And if you want to read along with THN, you can find every episode's review list on our Twitter and our Facebook. We put it up there weekly on Tuesdays. Joey, before we can return to our timeline, we need to pick one of these comics to enter the THN permanent collection and our favorite fool Oh, uh, it's the tick for me. It's the tick without a doubt. Uh, like
1: I, I very much enjoyed the plastic man comic. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had never read this and I, I liked it quite a bit. Um, Astro city. I kind of like disqualify on the basis that it's not really yeah, yeah, yeah. in line with the others. The tick
0: though is like, I would pull this out and read it any, anytime. It's a great book yeah it's a great book i'm gonna go with deadpool the tick was very close for me but i literally bought every issue of that deadpool run and treasure it to this day oh well yeah so did i so i'm gonna go with deadpool as my favorite here i do love the tick plastic man is is a character that i like but i only like because he showed up in my favorite grant morrison jla run so (laughs) i just don't feel a lot for that character yeah I i gotta go with deadpool
1: To head to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum Where normally we'd have a drug-fueled orgy After a review session like that But one super annoying Moloid Just had to rat us out to the media So instead, we'll be sipping on some Earl Grey tea While we tell you about our must-read picks For next Wednesday, April 6th No need to take your clothes off, Matt just tell the nerds what you're reading next week.
0: Oh, my pick for next week is X Men Red, number one from Marvel. It's written by Al Ewing with art by Stefano Caselli. Here's your solicit Who can save the red planet? Get it? X Men Red? There's a reason now. Huh? I get it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the mutants of Araco spent millennia scarred by war. Scarred by war. <laughs> But on what was once called Mars, they're learning to live in peace. (laughs) Did Wario? I don't know what happened there. Storm knows the red planet needs something greater than a queen. But Abigail Brand has other plans, along with an unstable Vulcan on her side and Cable keeping his own secrets. Welcome to X-Men Red. It's a new world and someone has to fight for it now. I can't say that I'm entirely interested in this book spending the entirety of its time on Mars, but the X Men did terraform Mars in a special that we both freaked out about. And we're like, oh my God, Jerry Duggan. And then we promptly never talked about it again. So, <laughs> it's well, I mean, we knew time. it was coming. I mean, like, we knew there was stuff going on there. And like, it was just like, ah, we got a bunch of other stuff we need to address first. We'll get back to that. So, here is them getting back to it. I like to see what's going to happen here. Al Ewing, that's why I'm here. I want to see Al why Ewing. Did I think this was written by Jason Aaron? I don't, that he's writing the Marauders. Oh, maybe that was it. Yeah, he's writing the Marauders, and Cassandra Nova is joining the team. Which, yeah, huh? Okay, <laughs> like, hey, it's a brand new would day. Why you bring Cassandra Nova back from the dead? She's really, really, really bad news. You know, they bring all the mutants back. Yeah. There, I mean, man. they, I guess they brought Omega red back. Look how that went. You know, he traveled went through real time. Bad. tried to kill Chuck. <laughs> yeah. Joe, what's your pick for next week?
1: My pick for next week is rocketeer. The great race. Number one from IDW it's written and drawn by Steven Mooney with a cover by Gabriel Rodriguez. Here's your solicit. We're celebrating the 40th anniversary of the very first appearance of the rocketeer. 40th appearance, you might be asking. I thought the Rocketeer was from the 1940s. No, Dave Stevens just made it look that way. Ace stunt pilot Cliff Seacord has returned from his New York adventure to a West Coast steeped in paranoia over the looming war in Europe. Having finally had enough of his near-death scrapes as the high-flying rocketeer, the only thing in Cliff's crosshairs is the Great Race, a prestigious winner-take-all air race that runs from California to France. Maybe it's time to smarten up and fly straight, dot, 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 by taking his best girl, Betty, to Paris, But other parties want to win the race for their own nefarious ends, and Cliff will need to decide which prize is truly the most valuable of all. Now, this is what really caught my eye. It's got a bonus feature. Each issue will contain an oral history featuring Dave Stevens' friends, family, and fellow artists, all called together by Kelvin Mao, who is a longtime friend of his and the director of the forthcoming documentary about Dave Stevens. That sounds rad as hell. Yeah. Wow. I want to read that. I don't really pay a ton of attention to new number ones from Rocketeer because from uh, IDW, because it's, you know, a nonstop parade of licensed books, but uh, it just so happens that we uh, talked up the Rocketeer uh, very recently on the show. And it just so happens. There's a new Rocketeer comic.
0: And it's like uh, serendipity. And so it's my pick. I will say IDW, while they do a lot of licensed stuff, they are very careful with curating like artist stuff like this. Where they go? Okay, this is sure. And Stephen Mooney important. is a yeah. Stephen Mooney is phenomenal. I love Stephen. Right, Mooney. and they typically work with people like Stephen Mooney who are comic historians, and they know all about this stuff. You know, like look at the spirit stuff that they put out, and look at a uh, like the sure. Little Nemo and Slumberland edition they put out, and stuff like that. It's like, true. They're You're not wrong. So I think this will be really cool. Yeah, and and a good and a very cool way for people who have never checked out the Rocketeer but are curious to pick one up. There you go. Yep. The THN trade of the week for next week goes to Catwoman of East End, the omnibus from DC Comics. It's a hundred bucks written by Ed Brubaker with art by Darwin cook and Javier Polito. Here's your solicit. Catwoman is Dead, or at least that's what she wants you to think. Presumed deceased and low on funds, Selena Kyle returns to her roots, taking up residence in Gotham's down and out East End. She intends to lie low and figure out her next moves, but when a serial killer begins racking up bodies in her old haunts, Selena has no choice but to return to the prowl in this twisting, noir mystery that collects stories from Detective Comics 759 through 762, Catwoman, Selena's Big Score, Catwoman 1 through 37, and Catwoman Secret Files, number one. Now, Before we got this Catwoman, we had a very busty, ridiculous, sexy Catwoman run around in high heels with a zipper pulled all the way down, boobs flying out. This is the first time that like a creative team, Brubaker and Cook, redesigned Catwoman. She's still sexy. She just doesn't look like a porn star that's had boob surgery. That's all. Sorry, Jim Bolent. And I know people like what you do, but it's a little ridiculous for a cat burglar to be that busty. <laughs> like how do they getting in and out of places? Come on. <laughs> it's like she never heard of a sports bra. Yeah. Like this, these were some of the first Catwoman comics that I read and actually liked. I didn't mind Catwoman when she would show up in Detective and stuff like that, but I had no interest in her monthly book because it was just so cheesecake. These are excellent detective stories that take place in the mean streets of gotham it's very timeless looking where it looks like it could be the 50s or it could be the 90s it's not important what's important is they give her a brain they give her a reason to be around they give her a great cast and they reinvented catwoman i love this run
1: it's my it's my favorite run of catwoman of all time and uh yeah it so I
0: would argue it's it got, easily the most important run of Catwoman of all time. Well, I mean, yeah, potato, potato, yeah. right? It's, well, it's There is there is no topping this run of, of- Yeah, just based on what it did Catwoman. for the character and how we know her now. You know, I mean, they reinvented the whole thing.
1: Yes, 100%. I, I agree wholeheartedly. It, so it, it got the stuff from Detective Comic. It started a, a series of backup stories mm-hmm. in Detective Comics about Slam Bradley, who was a detective- that first appeared in Detective Comics number one. So he is older even than Batman, and he became kind of like a, a foil for, uh, for Selena. And it set up this ongoing, uh, Brubaker and Darwin Cook, and then later Cameron Stewart took over the art. Like, so this, everything about this series up to a point <laughs> is so very, very good. Yeah. After that, you know. Your mileage may vary.
0: Paul Galassi takes over the art for a while. No, not my cup of tea. I don't know if those are in here. Was that, at? was like, I, I don't think that's going to be in this. They omnibus, don't list no. Galassi I, on here. So I don't, I that's think way, no, no, though. that's, that's yeah.
1: much, much later. I, I, that's, that's well into the forties and fifties uh, uh, issue wise. Yeah. You know, we don't pick omnibus editions very often. Uh, when we
0: do, it's because we love that material and it's worth it. You can find links to our picks in our show notes if you want to learn more about them, and we always post our must-read picks on our Twitter and our Facebook every Wednesday to help you with your trip to your local comic store because we're sweet like that. But be sure to let us know if you read these comics and agree they were worth the cover price, or if we're way off base and Joe will personally reimburse your purchase. Wait a minute. Excelsior! Oh, That is it for THN 660. And next week, we're back to reviewing new comics, and we're going to give you a sneak peek at our Patreon extra. Take a look. It's in a book where we sit down with friends of the show to discuss a whole trade paperback or graphic novel. Joe Patrick, what are we reading this time? I don't even remember. We are uh, reading Sword of Super by Eric Gapster, friend
1: of the show, kind of uh, Midwest, Midwest up and coming creator, Eric Gapster. He's putting out, uh, he's put out an all ages superhero graphic novel. We're
0: going to be reading it with our friends, Jason Sachs and Brian Domingos. Tune in next week to see if Eric is still our friend when we're done. If you want to rap about this week's episode, comics you read, or any of the weekly nerdy news that we are following, hit us up on our live call-in show. We call it THN, cover to cover, and we do it every Saturday. At 11 Central Time, it is hosted on our Facebook page. Although, if Facebook keeps this shit up, I swear we're moving, because I am so done with these assholes, okay? What did they do? What'd they do? Oh, now they hired a Republican think tank to smear TikTok with fake stories and shit. Like a, wow. Uh, yeah, ridiculous. And, I don't even want to talk about it. Don't forget about our question of the
1: week. This week's question was submitted by Harvey Locust during last week's episode of THN Cover to Cover what is your favorite oddly proportioned comic book? Yeah,
0: not, or so we're not of about standard a comi- size, <laughs> is what I would have said. Yeah, what is
1: your favorite comic book that is not a standard comic book size? Now, we're in, we're not necessarily talking about treasury editions. Yeah. There was a whole line of treasury editions. And we're not talking about omnibus, silver age, golden age. We're talking about a comic book that, like, is purposely made in a size that is not the norm. I have an example that I'm going to use because it will be nobody's favorite. Vertigo put out a comic book called Vertical.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember that. It
1: was three inches wide. Yeah. By like eight inches tall. Yeah. And you read it like uh, it was about it was a Mike Allred, I believe. And you read it as though like the characters were falling the entire time. So like odd sized, oddly sized comic book. We got it. All right. Please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming, uh, especially like we we love like weird collecting questions like this one. Um, we talk a lot about like character stuff, but I love it when we can talk about like the nuts and bolts of comics, yeah. even if it's not like anything super serious. Like what's your favorite weird shaped comic? If you want to play along with Cover to Cover Live, you can join our Zoom by clicking on the link in our Facebook live video chat. If you can't be there live, Shoot an mp3 to at nerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline 402-819-4894 and you could be internet famous. Remember to keep your recorded messages to two minutes or less and share the air with the live listeners.
0: If you're new to the show and you would rather break into a costume shop, steal a bunch of random shit, dress up like an idiot and say dumb crap while you come and beat us up, then listen to any more, I assure you. It's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our patron, Sarah King. Sarah uh,
1: joins an illustrious group of patrons that have uh, increased their monthly giving. Sarah, come on. I, I, I cannot stress enough is so strange and peculiar. I think maybe we should call your
0: moms about it and ask if you're okay. <laughs> if you like... But, oh, thank sorry. you. If you like what you hear every week like Sarah does, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd where you'll hear all kinds of exclusive content or... You could just make a one-time donation. I got two bucks. Follow me give you. Bang. There you go. Thanks for what you do, guys. We sure do appreciate it. We're not gonna buy comics with it, but we might go get a coffee or something. I don't
1: know. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our dear friend T.A. Jones, QE2, and Lady of Mushroom Manor, Gail Kelly, who
0: celebrated her. 25th birthday on Wednesday. Wink. You don't look a day over 24. Look at you, huh? Until <laughs> Happy next birthday, time. Happy birthday, Gail. True believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just make a bunch of dated jokes about you that weren't funny when they were fresh. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.